Hello everyone, and welcome to NAIS Member Voices. I'm Scott Donaldson. Today, I'll be speaking with Brielle Schmitz, head of school, and Alexa Carver, former board chair at Spruce Street School in Seattle, Washington. Brielle and Alexa, welcome to Member Voices. Hello, thank Thanks, you. Scott. And now, so this is exciting. You are the first duo if you will, to ever be featured on an episode of Member Voices. So thank you both for being here. We're excited to have you. And Alexa, I know that you recently transitioned away from being the board chair, or I believe on the board at Spruce Street School. Can Just to kind of lay the groundwork, can you fill us in on when you were board chair and how long you worked with Brielle? Brielle and I first started working together back when we were teachers together. Many, many years ago. Yeah, so I ended up joining Brielle's board actually back in 2002. I had kind of two separate stints on the Spruce Street School Board, and I was the board chair during the pandemic. So 2019 to 2021, and I just uh, rolled off the Spruce Street School Board this fall, but I have stayed on on one of the board committees. I'm on the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee for the school. Brielle, how did you find your way to Spruce Street School, and uh, how long have you been there? I found my way to Spruce Street School in the spring of 2002. I was looking for a full-time administrator position. I was a teacher and an administrator at a different independent school, and I heard of the opening. It was for an interim head of school, and I went ahead and threw my hat in the ring and thought, well, I can do anything for a year. Well, it turned into longer than a year, and I'm now in my 21st year as the head of school at Spruce Street School. So I suppose that all worked out pretty well. I took the position in March of 2002 and then was offered the permanent position as head of school in October of 2002. I actually thought I would be a head of school for a long time. I thought I would be a principal actually in a public school. I started my career with Teach for America. I was a bilingual first grade teacher in Houston, Texas. And the idea was to go back to school and get my principal certificate and head into that work. However, life takes you in interesting directions. And when I moved to Seattle in 1995, the position that worked out for me and that I took was at an independent school. And from there, I've stayed in the independent school side instead of returning to the public school side. So yes, I very much wanted to be a principal or a head of school. Mm-hmm. I really believe in the principalship or headship as the place to impact change. That makes sense. And then Alexa, what was your journey like from being a teacher and then ultimately becoming a board chair and now working as a consultant? So I started as a teacher in an independent school right after college, had a lot of appeal, wanted to try that out. And I I was a teacher for a few years and then shifted into administration in schools and did that for a few years. But like Brielle, I wanted to have kind of a a bigger impact at a higher, higher level, kind of bigger, I'm a little bit of a bigger picture person, uh, thinker. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so I went back and got my master's in nonprofit leadership which is kind of like an MBA, but really focused on nonprofits. Once I did that, I started working with leadership teams, so boards and leadership staff in nonprofits and schools on issues around governance, identity, equity, and strategic planning. And uh, I've been doing that work kind of ever since for over 20 years, and I have my own independent consultancy for about the past 10 years. And that's really where my passion is around education and accessibility to high-quality education. 
Now, I want to talk about your collaboration during your time together at Spruce Street School. Not every head and board chair have a, a close enough relationship where they would, you know, be so willing to appear together on a, on a podcast, right? So what do you think that you all did together or what was it about your working relationship that fostered this kind of lasting partnership? I actually love this question because in some ways, I think Alexa and I struggled with being too close, meaning we had shared so much history at the school together. We wondered if the partnership of board chair and headship was the right partnership. She'd served on my board, had been on every committee on the board, and was a very, very well-respected board member. And we wondered, would we be able to transition to that role and continue to have the same positive and powerful impact on the school and the board and both of our careers? So it was a bit of the opposite in that we'd worked together for so long, we were wondering if that would change the dynamic. And we had a big conversation about it. It was something that we both were passionate about. We believe in the school. We believe in leadership. We believe in the values of the institution. And could we then together really further the work of the school? There were some big things on our agenda in that year. Little did we know the biggest thing that we were going to have to navigate was the pandemic. But at the time that Alexa agreed to move into the board chair role, the school was in the midst of trying to purchase its first real estate. It's a 40-year-old institution and currently is leasing its property. So in 2019, we thought the big project was going to be purchasing property, which did happen. And then quickly in 2020 turned into navigating the pandemic together. I think it ended up being a gift for us. You know, as I work with schools, I've seen, you know, just a range of impacts that the pandemic had on independent schools. And I think it was a real gift to our community that Brielle and I had that close relationship and could navigate that incredibly challenging time together. And I think that helped support the school through that experience. I would also say, I think, one of the greatest strengths of Spruce Street School is around intentional relationship building. It is something that is done at every meeting with every person, you know, whether it's a parent or a staff member or a board member. That's where all the work starts at the school. Brielle and my relationship is kind of emblematic of that. That's where we started with an intentional conversation about what that relationship was and what it could be and how that would serve the school. I agree. The trust was absolutely essential to what the school was able to do during the pandemic. And I think that for the board, as well as for the entire staff, the fact that Alexa and I could move quickly, could have conversations when necessary and not talk when necessary, and the trust was there, was absolutely essential to our success. I'm wondering if, based on the the way that you all work together as a team, if you saw that that dynamic amongst the rest of your board or you know just in your school as a whole, if that was something that you think came from your leadership and your leadership style and your partnership, or if that was something that was existing in, within the school, you know, prior to the time that you two worked together. I would say I think it was prior. It was existing prior 
it's just a school that's really built on foundational relationships. And most of the staff have been there over 10 years. So there's already these robust relationships. And I think both are true. You know, Brielle and I modeled how we come together, what a respectful relationship and leadership looks like, how we listen to one another. I'm able to ask her hard questions in a board meeting in front of other people, and we can walk out of the meeting as friends and laughing together. So modeling all that was tremendously important. Every meeting starts with relationship building. Every board meeting has a component of relationship building. And I think that is foundational to the school culture and the community, but it's also what enables us to innovate. And I think it also is the foundation for our strong culture of equity and belonging. That relationship building that she's talking about became absolutely critical during the pandemic when we were meeting on Zoom. Historically, before every board meeting, there's dinner offered. And it's a social time. There's about a half an hour. It is not required that board members attend. However, there's always food there. And during that time is when we connect and greet one another and ask how each other's doing and share stories. With Zoom, that became completely impossible um, and with the pandemic. But this idea of starting every meeting with intentional relationship building continued and transitioned into a new format that I think helped the board to see each other as a community, even though they weren't together in the same space. So I do agree with Alexa, and I think it's essential that that is on purpose and important. Love that. And I wanted to talk about the pandemic as well and, and how you all work together to confront crises at your school, just e- even generally, whether it be the, the pandemic, obviously, you mentioned that, but even even other you know issues that arose as much as you're able to talk about them, kind of how you all approach that and how you work together to see yourselves through those through those issues at the time. One thing that I think is always the case is we are willing to talk about things. We're willing to talk about hard things. We're willing to talk about great things. And we're willing to talk about things far in advance of them happening. So the board is willing to consider 10 years, 50 years, you know, tomorrow, all of those things and have a conversation about something that might seem impossible. And then figure out how do we get there. So I'll give you an example. When I first came to the school and Alexa was first a part of the board, the school had very few financial resources. And yet the board put together a very sophisticated and very intentional investment plan about how to save money for the future. And that board said, someday we are going to buy property for the school. This was with a small school of 100 students that had no money in the bank, and it seemed impossible, yet we had the conversations about, well, how would you do that? What's the first step? Why is that important? Why do we commit to that? Why do we say out loud we're going to do that? And with that small seed begins slowly, slowly working towards that goal. And I feel like we can do that with big things, buying a building, We can do that with small things. We had a long-term administrator retiring from the school who had over 40 years of experience, not just at our school, but at a number of independent schools in the city. It was a big deal. 
And we started that conversation where I could come to the board and say, this is going to happen. The school is going to be just fine. It's okay for people to leave and retire. And here's how we're going to do it. And I knew that the board would hold that in confidence for me, for the person who was retiring, for the community, until it was the right time to share that in a way that got to celebrate that person and build a sense of security for the families that it was also going to be okay when that person left. Those are kind of two examples that might, you know, they're different, but show how we can work together and talk about something and trust that in that boardroom, we're going to build a plan and carry it out together. That intentional planning, long-term and short-term, is, is supported by structures that we've put into place. And I can speak to that mostly at, at the board level, but the board has a very kind of effective governance committee that does a great job of planning out the meetings. And in my work with other boards, they don't necessarily have the same robust planning structure and set aside time. So at every board meeting, there is work on DEI. At every board meeting, there is relationship building. And then the board goes through kind of a three meeting rotation. Sometimes we're focused on board business. Sometimes we're focused on kind of board development, right? What does the board need to learn to grow? And then we have meetings that are focused on strategy and generative conversation. And the governance committee is intentional about planning those meetings out. So, okay, every year in November, our meeting has some kind of a board development focus, you know, and, and we start talking about planning that March board retreat back in September. What is that going to be about? What does the board need to learn and grow? What, what is the work of the board? And so being really mindful of putting structures in place that are going to support the kind of planning that Brielle talked about, which is both immediate for what happens next month, as well as what happens 10 years from now. And building on that a little bit, I think you might have touched on this already, but how did you both ensure that you you each stayed in you know your own respective lane, uh, quote unquote, if you will, both as board chair and as head? I'm pretty mindful of that because I do that for work, right? And so I'm working a lot with school boards, you know, on governance issues and understanding their roles and responsibilities, you know, really leaning into, you know, that chate graphic with the chart and the diagonal line, head responsibilities, board responsibilities. Where is that line and understanding our lane? I think it's important to have really effective onboarding right? So when you bring someone on the board, helping them understand what is their responsibility, what is their lane, and what is the purview of Brielle and the staff. And then reiterating that throughout the year, you know, every time we have a conversation or a decision, kind of making that line clear. Mm-hmm. Well, at the same time, at the board meetings, the leadership staff attends all the board meetings. So we have, unlike some schools, we have our admissions director, our development director, our head of school and our assistant head of school are all in the board meeting with the board. And so you have this kind of wonderful collaborative relationship. In addition, I would say that we do have a standing weekly meeting. So I meet every week with my board chair and that is, I think, absolutely essential. And through those conversations, trust is built and also you get to set an agenda. How are we going to do this work? How is Alexa going to bring it to the board? How might I bring it to the staff? How am I working with senior leadership? Who's bringing that part? So on this regular basis, we're touching base and being very purposeful in how we're moving the agenda forward. And I think that when you feel like 
you have good work to do and you know what that work is, it's much easier, quote unquote, to stay in your lane. You know what you're doing. It is has meaning. It has purpose. And I think that both of us would respect what we brought to the room. What I might bring as the head of school, when what is it the right time for me to stand up and speak? And when is it the right time for Alexa to stand up and speak? And I wanted to add that I believe, and I be, and this is something that Alexa and I did together, but I believe that you can be a strong leader and your institution can be powerful when you do this with kindness and respect. And I'm gonna say this very intentionally because there is nothing about our board that is about privilege or about hiding information or about a hierarchy. So we're not trying to set up these gates where certain people have certain information at certain times, unless it is necessary for confidentiality or like a legal position. So what we believe is the more people who understand the work that we're doing, the better that it will be for the school, for the individual, for all of the people involved. Hi, everyone. It's Scott. I wanted to let you know that there's still time to register for the NAIS annual conference to be held in person in Las Vegas, February 22nd through the 24th. With more than 130 workshops led by practitioners, keynote presentations that will help you to see your work in a broader context, and countless opportunities to network and connect, this is a professional development experience you won't want to miss. Read about the speakers and programming, and register today at annualconference.nais.org. When you were working together, how did you approach and deal with issues where you might have disagreed or might not have been on the same page? I think we talked about it openly. I mean, I think there were just some very honest conversations, and that comes back to that trust and that relationship building that is so critical. You know, if you think about the work of the board, there are so many big, impactful, hard decisions that need to be made. And it's, it's hard for me to understand how those are done in schools when you have a board and board members who are only on the board for two or three years, and they only meet five or six times a year for an hour and a half. And, and those are the folks you're entrusting to make these huge decisions. And yet maybe they don't have the trust built up. And that was kind of the opposite of what Brielle and I had. We were able to trust each other. We were able to have open conversation and, and bring that open conversation to the board and, and disagree in front of the board. Yes, I think that it's important for people to actually see leadership, have different opinions and support one another. This is about not undermining the other person. It might be about daylighting. I feel that this is the best course of action. Alexa has a different opinion. Alexa, share what you're thinking. Let's talk about it. And then ultimately, either I'm making the decision because it's my job to do that, or the board is making a decision. And then we walk out and support that. From my very first day as a head of school, I have resisted the urge to ever say something like, well, the board is making me, or the board decided this, in the sense that I'm not a part of the leadership of the school. This is the decision that we're all working on together. 
this is something that we are moving forward as an institution. And I think that that helps you to then make a hard decision and know that everyone is going to back you up, even if there were moments where they weren't sure that that was the right way to go. And I want to explore your relationships with the other board members a little bit more. I th- you touched on it earlier as far as orienting the new board members, but any anything else that hasn't been mentioned that you did intentionally during new board member orientation that you saw to be very fruitful and helpful or, or maybe something you learned that didn't work out that needed to be changed? Mm-hmm. As an institution, we have an open call for board members in our current family So every summer, there's a survey that goes out, and there is a box that every parent can check if they want that says, I'm interested in the board. That does not mean they will join the board, but it does mean that we will at least bring that name to the governance committee and discuss what is the work of the board coming up? Does that person bring something necessary to the committee structures that we're doing? Is there a committee for them to join? They will at least discuss that person. So we're a community where there is an open opportunity for people to raise their hand, in addition to us recruiting people who may have specific skill sets that we need. Then, if someone is a person that we're considering for the board, in that very first conversation, I have a conversation with them in the very beginning. And one of the things I talk about very explicitly is that I love my job and I'd like to continue being the head of school. And if that's something that they feel like they can support, we'll continue the conversation. And I'm saying that to you because I feel that heads of school have very wide ranging input into who is on their board. And yet these are the people who decide the future of the head's career. And I put it out there. I like my job. I want their support. And we should at least start there and then go from there. Then the board can have all their conversations with, you know, is this the right skill set, et cetera, et cetera. I think it's something for boards and heads to consider is are they being explicit about how the board supports the head of school? Yeah, thanks for saying that, Brielle. And I would say with the boards I work with, that's something I say to every single board I work with. Please remember your primary job is to support your head of school. And I think that is particularly important over the last three years. In terms of kind of onboarding and and how we create the board, I think it's, again, about that intentionality around process or structure. What are the structures to support the outcome that you want? And we're very intentional with that structure. So the governance committee, we have a board skills matrix that everyone fills out. So we know the identity, how our board members identify, what their experiences are. how they see themselves, how they show up in meetings. We have different questions to get at all of that. So we know who do we already have in the room. Then we look at our strategic plan and we look at our annual board evaluation to understand, okay, where are the gaps? What is the work that needs to be done? And where are the gaps in terms of who we have already in the room and and what the work is that we want to be doing? And from that, we create kind of a profile or idea of who would be great board members for us that we need? What voices do we need to have in the room? to make that work happen. And so that's kind of the starting place for those conversations that Brielle said. Then then we consider anyone who's interested in the community and we we consider folks who have already showed up in the community in some way. And we have very open conversations that are transparent, right? The whole process is transparent from the outset. And I think that idea of transparency with the board and the collaboration 
with the board and staff and head of school is really critical to kind of how we form because I, I don't see that in all boards. And I'd like to zero in a little bit more on your communication styles and, and your communication approaches, specifically with different stakeholders and constituencies within your school, right? And and how you work together to communicate with those groups and present a united front. So what would be your communication style or, or approach there working together to communicate with, with families? What did you employ when you worked together? I talked very explicitly with my board chair about this question. How are we showing up to the families? How do they know who the board is? Sometimes they don't. How do we share the work of the board? And then also, how does the board publicly support me as the head of school? And that's something that I sometimes think gets lost. So throughout the year, there are very specific places where the board chair stands up in front of the community, introduces themselves, reminds them of the work of the board, usually highlights you know, the strategic goals that they're working on, maybe something specific, and then also publicly recognizes the work of me as a head of school. And by that, I mean shares one, two, three things that perhaps I have done to further the work of the school. And that sort of public ownership and collaboration, I think is very important so that the community sees we're working together and also sometimes reminds them of some good work I might be doing because over the year, sometimes I have to be the bad guy. I have to be the one who says no to things or that has to say we can't do something, or has to say a hard thing to the community. And so for the board on a regular basis to publicly affirm my work, I think is important. It also might be celebrating I signed a new contract, and that that should be something the school's excited about and happy about, and that the board gets the opportunity to take that win as well. So there's some of these public moments that we do intentionally leverage and think about, well, what are we going to say? How are we going to say that? And make sure that we show up to that. The board is really intentional about having kind of informal touch points with the community all the time. So at every family association meeting, there is a board member who goes and just kind of is there to answer questions or share what the board's doing. The board has ongoing pieces in the newsletter to tell folks what the board's doing and who they are. At all the school events, the board comes with special board name tags so people can identify them and know that they are board members. Several times during the year, board members are assigned folks in the community to call, either to welcome to the community, to thank them for their service, to encourage them to attend an event. So the board has just these ongoing communications informally at a personal level, again, going back to that relationship and trust building, so that the board doesn't end up being this kind of separate, you know, power structure hidden away somewhere that folks aren't really sure what they're doing or or who they are. Everyone knows and they're very available and accessible to the whole community. And how about working with donors, communicating with donors or or potential donors? Uh, Did you all work together on that? And, And if so, can you talk about what that looked like? I actually ended up being uh, one of the capital campaign chairs that we had for a campaign the school did to support financial aid 
I would say again, it's, it's, we do it, we're lucky that we are a small school of just about 100 students, and so we could do it on an individual level. So we were meeting with individual families for the most part and having individual conversations so that we could really understand who that family was, what their interests and passions were, and, and how they wanted to be involved or participate in the community. And one of the messages we gave is that the campaign was about sharing your story. It wasn't about sharing your resources or wealth. Like that's not where we started. We started with share your Spruce Street story. We want to know who you are and why you're here and what this campaign might mean to you. And we started at that point of connection, knowing that once we connect with folks and they feel connected to the school, then they may be inspired to give if they have that capacity. And so I think we see donors first in their capacity as, as families in the school with a story to tell and move from there. I think our board is less focused on wealth and wealth screening as a membership qualification than some boards. So the whole board does not focus on that. There may be a development committee or a campaign committee or a, you know, a group of people that are working on that in order to support the school, but the overall work of the board is not as focused on that. And that means that it is not necessary that ability to give us at a significant level is a qualification for joining the board. We do ask all board members to participate in our fundraising campaigns. And that is about something that's personally significant to that person as opposed to a specific dollar amount. So I would say all board members, there are many board members who might go through their whole tenure on the board and are not specifically focused on talking about you know, campaign asks or specific fundraising asks. How about faculty and and staff? And, and you know, specifically, Alexa, although, Brielle, of course, you know, feel free to, to chime in. Did you feel like the faculty and staff had a relationship with, with you as board chair and, and the board with the staff? And what was that relationship like? How did you all uh, approach communicating with that group? Sure. I mean, I think, again, starting with the informal, we are such a small school and most of our board members are parents or alumni parents. So most, you know, staff have interacted with board members as parents in the school. Mm -hmm. But once you are in that official capacity as board member, I think we do two. We have two structures that really support that relationship. One is that a small group of staff members comes to every board meeting and starts the meeting off by sharing something about the classroom. So every year we choose some element, you know, one year it was values, one year it was DEI, one year it was about having a community connected classroom, different things like that. And and three staff members typically come in and share what they're doing in their classroom with the students to support that, that value or that initiative. And so the board is constantly being educated and really giving greater understanding into the value of, of what the staff is providing and how they are doing things differently, how they're thinking about these important concepts around DEI and innovation, how they're educating themselves, how they're showing up with students and families. So all the board members then can kind of speak to that and have understanding of that when they're making decisions. That's one important piece. And then there are other different touch points throughout the year. Like we do a board staff dinner every year in January and uh, board and staff sit down together and get to know each other and just have dinner. It's just, you know, a social time for connection. And I think that's another important touch point. So doing things like that throughout the year and then having those structures that support that relationship 
are really important. All of those things lead to a whole community where there's a lot of trust. So the staff believes that the board is working in the best interest of the schools and that the administration is the liaison between a parent, you know, their work and the board. So there's there's not a lot of fear or concern about the future of the school. There's a lot of trust and excitement that the board is doing really good work for the future of the school. Alexa, you just mentioned innovation. I wanted to make sure that we talked about that. And Brielle, perhaps I'll start with you for this question. I'm curious on your take on how your partnership fostered a culture, or did it foster a culture of of risk-taking and and innovation at your school? And if so, what did that look like? Yes, I actually think that the trust that we had allowed us to innovate in ways that we never wanted to during the pandemic Mm. specifically. I knew that I could come to her with ideas and questions and wonderings and concerns and that we could work through something together. And then that allowed me the freedom to be really creative and well, what about this? And how does this land with you? Or have you heard anything about this? And that she would come to the table also with, here's what I've seen. Here are some ideas. Have you considered this? What about that? And I think the fact that, as she alluded to earlier, we didn't perceive everything the same and we didn't have the same opinion about everything actually allowed us to be very creative together. And then for me to know that she was supporting my work in the big decisions that I had to do. So I think that that trust and kind of the openness to try things out and take risks, even in the conversation, allowed for more innovation across the entire school. It is, to me, all about trust. And trust comes from relationship building. And for innovation, you need to be able to take risks. And you can't take risks, you can't share your ideas if there isn't that trust. And I think I have a a favorite quote from Adrienne Marie Brown in Emergent Strategy talks about change at the speed of trust. And to me, that just rings very Mm. true. If innovation is about change, you can't let that change get ahead of where you are with trust or it's not going to succeed. Well, that actually is a a great transition for the last couple minutes or so of our conversation. I wanted to ask you kind of some some bigger picture questions. So is is there anything on the subject of, you know, quotes, is there anything that you have read or that you did read in the past or listened to that you felt especially helped you either in your individual role or or to work together? Any any recommendations for those listening? One thing that I'll I'll say that we've really embraced is the idea of what it feels like when you're learning something new. And this comes from Joe Bowler's work at Stanford. And I, I feel like it helps us to do hard things because we remind ourselves that when you're really learning something new, and you know, this could be for a child, obviously, but really as an adult, we don't actually like the feeling of being uncomfortable and learning something new. It's, it's not, it's not, it's not a place where you like to sit for very long. So by saying out loud, hey, when you're feeling that uncomfortable feeling or it feels really hard, that's a moment of learning. And I think that that frame has allowed us to really dig into 
questioning our own work and wondering what we might be able to do differently or trying that thing out and sitting with that discomfort a little bit as a place of learning. So a lot of people have read Joe Buller's work and taken a lot of things away from it, but that's something that I feel like as an institution, we remind each other of when we're in that moment of learning and it's like, oh, this is really hard and it's worth it. That means you're actually doing something different or new or challenging yourself. Uh, this is kind of my passion is around finding resources and sharing learning. I guess the thing that I would share that I, I love to bring to all the boards I work with is Ann Wallenstead's article in the Stanford Social Innovation Review about purpose-driven leadership. And she talks a lot about nonprofits needing to look beyond their own mission to how they're supporting the larger ecosystem. And I think that is so important for independent schools to consider in this moment. What is our public purpose? And how do we look beyond our own mission statements and think about what's best for education, what's best for children, what's best for that larger ecosystem of families, students, educators? That is critical as we come out of the pandemic and you know, some independent schools are feeling vulnerable. Our children have really been through a lot. Our educators, our teachers have been through a lot. And so thinking about that kind of broader purpose and how we serve that broader purpose, I think, is critical to schools moving forward and important for boards to show leadership in. Where do you two look to for inspiration? I, I guess maybe I should say where where did you when you were working together, right? And And, you know, where do you? And maybe the same answer. I'm just going to give a nod to my co-participant here, uh, Brielle. Um, I, just, I feel very lucky to have worked with her. I think she's one of the greatest leaders in our field right now. And I feel like that was an honor and a privilege. But I will extend that more broadly to heads of school. No one takes that job without kind of a fierce commitment and passion. It is such a difficult job. And so every head of school I work with, I am grateful for that opportunity. Because these are folks with vision and commitment who are really just trying to do right by our children and our communities. And that is such a gift. Every single one of them is inspiring. Thank you, Alexa. Very kind. Right back at you, for sure. Alexa has the ability to digest a lot of information and bring it back to our community, which has been very inspiring to me. I also, I think, when, you, when I first think about that question, I sometimes think about, being around like five and six-year-olds and just watching them learn something or be curious about something sometimes can lighten my the weight of my job to the place where there's an opportunity to imagine something new. And there's a lot in being ahead of school that is very serious and heavy. And yet... Where the magic happens is when you imagine the thing that seems impossible, that you perhaps get playful about something, that you start to laugh and have fun in the moment. That is sometimes where all of a sudden something that you never imagined before becomes possible. So allowing myself the space, not just do all the serious things, but maybe Know, have that conversation with a five-year-old or a 10-year-old or to listen to the children while they're debating things that are very important to them. 
it allows this space to come in where I might have that, I don't know, we're talking about an inspiration or, you know, where you, where, where that comes in. I think you have to get out of the serious part of the work and allow something else to come into your life. And along those lines, I am someone who believes deeply in not working all the time. I have really strict boundaries and I have a life outside of my work. And that life outside of my work can greatly impact my work in a positive way. So those are, those are some things for me that I think about is both, you know, letting some of the kid joy in and also not doing all the serious work all of the time. We've covered a lot of ground, but any pieces of advice that we haven't touched on that, that you would like to share? I think that the one other part, and we have touched on this, but I'm gonna, I want to say it specifically, is if, if you can, as a person, see what that other person truly brings to the table and honor who they are and why they're important, I feel like that is the beginning of that true reciprocal and deep relationship. And if you don't see that in working with them, perhaps that's not the right person at that moment or you're not trying hard enough because every single person shows up in a way that adds value and meaning and being interested in who they are and why they're there. Why are they giving their time? Why are they showing up in this way and truly finding that importance will help them to be included and meaningful in, in the work that you're doing. So I, I think that individual part adds to then the collective part. And it really does start with that very first you know, connection of why is this important to you and what are you bringing to this conversation that might be different? Well, I'd like to end with, with this question. When you reflect back on your time working together at Spruce Street School. Does anything in particular stand out to you? Uh, uh, if you had to choose uh, of what are you most proud? I think what I'm most proud of when I think about my time at Spruce Street School is the community. I think Spruce Street School's greatest achievement is building a, a kind of a community of, of equity and belonging for every family, staff, student. Folks come together and they can be from, you know, broadly different backgrounds with broadly different children. And they come to Spruce Street and they find relationship, they find connection, they find support. And it's a, it's a pretty special place. And I'm, I'm constantly like thrilled and pleased and interested to hear different folks tell their stories and hear that they have, that they have all found that regardless of how different their stories may be or their different roles in the community. I think that one of the things that I am most proud of is that I have been able to have very long and meaningful relationships with I have known for over 20 years and that we've been able to build something together. And Alexa is one of those, that we've been able to navigate changes in families, changes in jobs, changes in you know who we are as people. And that we've been able to keep working together to further the work of not only Spruce Street School, and absolutely that's important, but to further the work of 
independent schools, of education, of what's best for humans. And that by working together, we've been able to do something much bigger than I ever could have imagined doing on my own. And truly for me, it's about doing this work with someone. And I am really proud that we've been able to do that and maintain this ongoing relationship that I think is really exciting and inspiring and incredibly powerful, truly, that we've been able to do this work together. It's really exciting to have shared this journey and not have gone it alone. Well, thank you both so much for the time. Brielle, thank you. Alexa, thank you. It's been a pleasure speaking with both of you today. Thank you for having thank us, you, Scott. Scott. We hope that some of this will inspire or entertain or be of interest to others doing this important work. Thanks for listening to NAIS Member Voices. You can find some related NAIS resources from this episode by visiting NAIS.org slash member voices. You can also keep an eye on that page for new podcast episodes or subscribe to automatically receive a new podcast episode in your feed each month. Please be sure to listen and then rate and review each new episode and go back and listen to past episodes you may have missed. Finally, don't forget we always want to hear from you, so please share your stories, questions, and comments with us by emailing membership at nais.org.